The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. A reading from Selected Verses in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. God said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I'm Brian Salter, one of the pastors here, and I have my welcome to be in the presence of God and worshiping him today. It's an honor to do that with you. We are studying the book of Deuteronomy. We are on the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy is the fullest expression of theology in the primary history and maybe of any book in the Old Testament. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy more than any other Old Testament book. Moses is making a conscious, Holy Spirit-led endeavor to make the covenant relationship clear. And the Ten Commandments give clarity to the beautiful community that God intends to shape on this earth. And so it is right that we learn them. It is right that we study them. It's right that we seek to keep them. And today we are on the third commandment, one often misunderstood, undervalued, maybe. Maybe you have regulated it at times like me to just don't say a few words and you'll be fine. I think we'll see this morning it is so much more than that. And his name is worthy as we even heard sung, hallelujah, of all praise and glory and honor. And today, because we've been in the preaching of God's word and in his presence, our prayer is that we leave this place hallowing the name better than ever before in all of our lives. Let's pray together. You are worthy of all praise. Your name is above every name. And you have rescued us and placed your name upon us. And yet we need so much work to honor the name. So would you come with the preaching of your word and the power of your spirit and bring to us change in how we think and relate and speak and honor the name of our Lord in every area of life. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, several years back, I was 
with our family and we were watching, I do not remember, but it was an award ceremony of some sort. It would have been maybe like the SBO Sports Awards or maybe the Country Music Awards. And uh, my youngest son was young, younger than now, maybe four or five. And as he watched, he kept seeing people win and come to the podium to make a speech after speech after speech. And he looked at me and said, Dad, everybody that's winning is a Christian. Not so, son, sadly. How trite people often go to the microphone and say with their lips, I'd like to thank God. But their lives, their lyrics, their actions have nothing to do with the name. How easy it is to place the name on our lips. This command shows that we must really pay attention to how we use the name of the Lord, how we misuse it. It is offensive to God in our misuse. It is dangerous to us, we'll see, in our misuse. And we will see that the third commandment is not asking us not to use God's name, but to use it with reverence and to vigilantly refrain from misuse of it. So let's look at the heart of the command. You heard the command read, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The heart of the command is a right rev- calling for a right reverence and gravitas when speaking of God. You shall not use it in vain. To use something in vain would mean to use it in an empty, false, trivial, worthless, nothingless way. That's how you are not to take the name of God. In a wicked, worthless, or wrong way. We are to receive and employ the name of God with humility, sincerity, reverence, and seriousness, using it truly and honorably in a worthy manner. John Calvin said, we must be disposed in mind and speech that we neither think nor say anything concerning God and his mysteries without reverence and much soberness. Names are different today than they were then. At the time of Sinai and the giving of this command, in our culture, names are something we have. In that day, names were something you are. They were so significant, that's why you always see the changing of names, the meaning of names, the significance of names. And for, in the ancient writings like the Bible, a name was way more than a label. It was your identity, and if that name was placed upon you, it was your destiny. The truth hidden in the marrow of your bones was in the name. It was a one-word moniker, as one writes, for the truest thing about you. They were ne- the, the names were revelatory of the character and the nature of that person who is named. And God revealing his name is a deeply personal and intimate sign of covenant relationship that the triune God would reveal his name to his people and place his name upon them was a grand gesture and sign of intimacy. 
that's lost on us in many ways because of how we think of names. The name was inseparable from the person. It is impossible to disassociate God's name from his person and his character. For, for instance, in Exodus 3, as Moses is hearing from God at the burning bush, what does he say? He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am, the name, has sent me. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. When God reveals himself to Moses with that name, I am who I am, his essence is revealed, his self-existence, his self-sufficiency, his supreme sovereignty in the name. Moses, go to Pharaoh, say my name. The name was synonymous with the character. Do you remember Moses hidden in the rock? In Exodus 34, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And how did the Lord reveal himself to Moses? He proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the four, third and fourth generations. And Moses, having revealed the name to him, quickly bowed his head toward the earth. And what did he do? He worshiped the glory of the name is connected with the essence of the one being revealed. And to bear the name of the Lord was to claim him as your owner and to accept the high calling of representing him throughout all the earth. The glory of his name is at the heart of why he sends his people into the world. It's also at the heart of why he sends them into exile and disciplines them. It's at the heart of why he redeems them and returns them. Ezekiel 36, many of us are familiar with that text of his promises, but listen to this, 20 through 27. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they did what? They profaned my holy name. That's the charge. That's the charge against the people of God. They went into Canaan, they went into the nations and they profaned the holy name of God. And he said, and that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. And the Lord reveals to Ezekiel, but I had concern for my name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you come. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. 
and the nations will know that I am the Lord. Yahweh declares the Lord. When you, when through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take, now watch. It's for the name that they were sent. It's for the name that they were disciplined. It's for the name that they're redeemed. He says, I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I'll cleanse you and I'll give you a new heart and I'm gonna give you a new spirit. I'm gonna put it within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'm, I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh and I'm gonna put my spirit in you so that you can walk in my statutes and obey my rules to the glory of what? My name. The heart of the matter, the heart of this command is right reverence and gravitas to the name of the Lord that is holy. And hopefully you see in Ezekiel 36, it is a serious and grave thing to profane the name of the Lord. And the Lord will not sit idly by when his people profane his name. Now, if we look second, at the breadth of our command breaking, the depth of our command breaking. And you may say, well, why are we gonna look at that? That sounds a little discouraging. You're about to show me all the ways I break this command. Well, let me tell you first. We wanna consider Psalm 51, where we must always know that our sin is primarily and first against God. Against you and you only have I sinned. Seeing the depth and breadth of our command will help us be there. Second, this is far more than a taboo on a few bad words. We need to understand it so that we can increase our repentance, we can increase our adoration of Jesus who saves us from our sin, and we can enlarge our view of holiness and obedience. That's the goal. Third, even the statement we responsively read from Westminster Shorter Catechism 55. Consider this for a moment. The third commandment forbids all profaning and abusing of anything whereby God maketh himself known. Consider a couple of implications of just that description. Where does God make himself known? In the image of God. He makes himself known in his image that he made, the pinnacle of creation as we heard in Psalm 8. Now you see John's logic in 1 John 4, 20, when he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Have you ever thought that your failure to love another human being is a violation of the third commandment? Because humans were made where God could make himself known and to abuse or to profane that thing is a violation of this commandment. Or the Psalm in Psalm eight, exclaiming the glory of creation or Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Oh, so a failure to steward creation is a violation of the third commandment. For it is in creation that God reveals himself and makes himself known. Now you are beginning to see this rich breadth and depth 
of the commandment and you should begin to deepen your repentance. So let's continue with that. First, one way we break this command is by associating with God's name with our lips, but damaging his reputation with our lives. As Christians, we bear the name Christ. The very name of Christ is associated with everything we do and our reputation is a reflection of his reputation. We should want to bring honor to his name and we all know when you're naming a child how there are certain names that are just off limits because they have a bad connotation, story, reputation. I mean like nobody names their kid Judas because there's something connected with the name that you would not want connected with that person. And sadly, people that are naming the name Christian are damaging the reputation of Christ. That's a violation of the third commandment. May we seek to carry the name Christ in, a, in an honorable way. Not just on our lips, but with our lives. You've probably heard the story of Alexander the Great, one of the great military generals who ever lived conquered almost the entire known world with his vast army. And one night during a campaign, he couldn't sleep and he left his tent to walk around the campgrounds. And as he was walking, he came across a soldier asleep on duty, a serious offense. The penalty for falling asleep on guard duty was in some cases instant death. The commanding officer sometimes poured kerosene on the sleeping soldier and would light it. The soldier began to wake up as Alexander the Great approached him and recognizing who was standing in front of him, the young man now feared for his life. He said, do you know what the penalty is for falling asleep on guard duty? Yes, sir. Soldier, what's your name? Alexander, sir. What's your name? My name is Alexander, sir. What is your name? My name is Alexander, sir. Soldier, either change your name or change your conduct. That's the point. What's your name? Christian. Change our conduct for the reputation and the glory of our name. And when our conduct is inconsistent with the name, may we, the church, be marked with deep, deep, honest, public repentance. What's your name? What's your name? Let us consider our conduct. Using God's name in a profane and obscene manner is also a way to break this command. Leviticus 22, 31 through 33 says, so you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord and you shall not profane my holy name. And you, you heard of it in Ezekiel 36. Profaning the name, profaning the name, profaning the name. Now I want you to know that ancient cursing was very different than modern day cursing, which oftentimes modern day cursing is a 
is a bad habit and thoughtless. Um, ancient cursing was deliberate blasphemy where you were putting a direct affront on that particular God. It was sort of like Elijah mocking the gods of Baal. Well, you could, that was ancient cursing at that level. And that they knew they sh you shall not do that. But cursing in our times, think about it when we use God's name inappropriately, our careless and light attitude toward God to use his name in such a manner. Even the three letters people text, OMG, it's trivial, it's profane, it's light. It has implications. A trivial view of God comes from trivial talk about him, period. So watch our words. We also break this command by swearing by God's name in an oath only to lie in our testimony and vows. You hear in Leviticus 19, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. In Deuteronomy 6, 13, it says, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. So the command is not saying you shall not swear by God's name in an oath, but when you do it, don't break it. The sin is to take the oath in the Lord's name and not keep it. All right, now think about the vows you've taken in the name of the Lord. If you're married, you took vows in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you're a parent, you vowed in that name at the baptism maybe of your children. If you joined this church, you took vows in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe. In your vocation, you have had to do the same, maybe in a testimony. Now think about this. When you break your wedding vows and fail to love your spouse in a holy manner, do you realize it's not just a sin against them, but it's a violation of the third commandment? It's the taking of the Lord's name in vain. For what you vowed in his name, you have now taken trivial or failed to do. So your repentance in the violation of that vow should start where? With your spouse? No, with God. Your repentance should start where? With your children? No, with God. Your repentance should start where? In the church if you've violated that vow with a member? With God. That's what happens when you see the breadth and depth of these commands. Then you look at exploiting God's name for our own self-advancement and gain. A great example of this is in Acts 19, the sons of Sceva. It's a great band name, if anybody ever is looking for one, you know, the garage band, the sons of Sceva. It's, uh, it's fascinating what happens there. Paul is in Acts 19 doing amazing work. People are touching his handkerchiefs and being healed. And, and then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcist. How do you like that on a business card? What do you do for a living? I'm an itinerant Jewish exorcist. They undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And they would go and say, I adjure you by Jesus, which Paul proclaims. And seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom 
was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them so that they fled the house naked and wounded. That's what you get for misusing the name of the Lord. It's a serious thing. And even when you read in Acts 19, here's what happens because of that event. And fear fell upon them all and watch. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Punishment for exploiting God's name for self-advancement and gain. And you may think, well, I'm doing no sons of Sceva kind of things. Let me just talk about for a second one way we do this. When we say to people, God told me, or even worse, God told me to tell you. And I always say, well, he didn't tell me. Listen, we use that phrase to get our way. It can be used to manipulate, to get the name of God on the back of your plans. Can I tell you something? God's already said everything he wants to say. It's in his word. There is the inward leading of the Holy Spirit, but this is only an inward leading. It should not be misrepresented as authoritative from the word of God. We pollute God's name by blatantly using it in the interest of our own selfishness, power, or pride, or even those who peddle the word of God for profit and say, thus saith the Lord, and and manipulate people to give to their gain and to their advancement violations of the third commandment. But this one, this next one, if they all haven't stung already, worshiping in God's name casually and flippantly. To call upon the name of the Lord is a synonym for worship. Just consider how we use the name of the Lord in a trite manner even when we gather here. Have you ever felt like you're just going through the motions in a worship service? You're just enduring to the end. You're just waiting for me to say, let's pray. I've been there. Hear what God's word says of this. Isaiah 66, two through four. All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Speaking of the people in worship, he says, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. What a picture for how to enter worship. Humble, contrite in spirit, trembles at my word. But instead, what does he says? He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. They have chosen their own ways. Their soul delights in their abominations. All those activities he just mentioned are religious worship activities. And he's saying they're no good because your heart is not engaged reverently with me. It's flippant, it's casual, it's thoughtless. How often do we break the third commandment on Sundays? So that what Jesus said to the Pharisees and scribes when he said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. 
consider your worship. That we are in the presence of our holy triune God. Consider how you prepare for that. Consider how you anticipate that. If, if on a Saturday night, if you knew you were meeting someone of grand renown and importance, you would think about your night and your preparation for that morning. Consider how trivial we approach God in worship. I ask us to do that again and to consider the breadth and depth of this commandment as we have just now because our goal is to increase and deepen our repentance so that we see our Savior and lift him up higher and we have an enlarged vision for holiness. That's the goal. I'm not here to shame you or just beat you up or beat me up. I'm here now to show you Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus as we think about these things. He perfectly keeps the command and pays the penalty for those who break it. Consider in John 17, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Perfect manifestation of the name of the Lord. Perfect keeping of command three. For us. So that we lawbreakers, as we've just seen, might get his perfect record. And yet consider Jesus. In Matthew 26, 63 through 66, the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you're the Christ. And he said, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What's your judgment? And they said, he deserves death. The one who perfectly manifested the name of the Lord in every way, accused of blasphemy and condemned to death for the profaning of God's name. For who? For us. He took our record of blasphemy. He took our record of profaning the name of the Lord and he took the penalty of this sin. Deuteronomy 5.11, what's the penalty? For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name in vain. Aren't you convinced this morning of our sin in taking the name of the Lord in vain? Then the truth is God will not hold these people, us, guiltless. And so what do we need? A savior, a redeemer, somebody who will take our guilt away for as one has said all trademark violations will be prosecuted to the full and limits of the law the prosecutor judge jury and enforcer is god and we are so guilty of trademark violations as those who bear the name we will not be held guiltless but for the final sacrifice and substitute of jesus our redeemer he has paid for every single way his people have broken just this command by his blood. God has given Jesus the name 
that is above all names. And it is at that knee that every tongue will confess, as Philippians says, it is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our only hope when faced with the breadth and depth of our command breaking is to believe in his name, Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We pray in his name. We believe in his name. We are baptized in his name. His name is our only hope, placed over us by the blood and work of Jesus. And don't think you just can sit around forgiven. Ezekiel 36, for the sake of his name, what did he put in us? The Holy Spirit so that what? We could walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. Think about the gift of the Holy Spirit now where we can have an enlarged view of holiness and godliness by dependence on his spirit. Now to seek to keep this command, knowing we will fail, but seek to keep it in all of its breadth and depth, how then would we represent Christ whose name we have? By his spirit. That's why I'll tell you as we close, When Jesus speaks in Sermon on the Mount, and he actually says, don't swear at all. You remember that about oaths, Matthew 5? Here's why. He understands. If you bear the name, you bear the Spirit. And if you bear the Spirit, you now have the power to do what you've promised without any oath. That's his point. It's not that you can't take an oath. But he's pointing to the power of the newness within us of those who take the name of Christ as Christians given the power of the Holy Spirit. So, have you seen today how big our sin is on just one of these commands? Have you seen how good our Savior is to die for us and rescue us? And have you seen what you have inside of you, the spirit that can enable you to keep it in its breadth and depth in a prevailing way, not perfect? This is our name. I ask you, what's your name? This command calls us to change our conduct by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. We cry out to you in your name for all the resources and power we need to honor you by keeping this command. Come, help us. Give us quick, deep repentance whenever we are convicted that we have broken this command. And help us as your people to establish your reputation on this earth truthfully, worthily, and rightly. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.